go to the demigods, one who worships the ancestors goes to the ancestors, and one who worships him goes to him. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so yanti, you can remember, means to go. Anantasana means Krishna, who is uh, seated on Anandashesh. And then maybe one or two more that I think some people will recognize. Grihamedinam. Grihamedinam refers to the materialistic householders, which is right. we've been reading. Yeah, we should be pretty familiar with that one by now, right? Any, any one more? I'll give you a hint, it's a name. Hadi. Hadi. Right? What does that mean? away everyone's attachments to the material world and steals away their heart amongst other things. Okay, so let's chant now. Or yeah, chant the verse. Oh yeah, shayayam means bed. So you can remember that. Shete Nanta Sanohari Shete Nanta Sanohari
The statement in Bhagavad Gita that persons who worship the demigods have lost their intelligence is confirmed in this verse. These less intelligent persons do not know that even if they are promoted to the heavenly planets, at the time of dissolution, they themselves, the demigods, and all their planets will be annihilated. They have no information that eternal blissful life can be attained. Omagyana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurunitam Jena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara Shri Vasadi Gaurabhakta Vinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So I'd like to request the blessings for all the assembled devotees in the room here and those who might not be in the room but are hearing to pray that I can offer something of service to inspire and uh, glorify the Lord and inspire our devotional lives. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. So this is text four of this chapter. A few different topics came to mind upon hearing this purport. Because we're hearing about the cosmic uh, arrangements, the different planets, right? And the general gist of the verse, I'll read it again. The verse says, All the planets of the materialistic persons, including all the heavenly planets, such as the moon, are vanquished when the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Hari, goes to his bed of serpents, which is known as Ananta Shesha. So we're hearing about the larger cosmic situation. And the underlying purpose of this, as we'll see as the texts unfold, and you can kind of get the sense even that this is there in the verses, that there is an emphasis on, or an instruction that's being given that one should not become distracted by the temporary endeavors to uh, promote oneself in the material world. It's being described that materialistic persons are attracted by sense gratification and devoted to the forefathers, demigods, and they can be elevated to the moon where they drink and extract the soma plant, but then they again return to this planet. Very similar to some verses that are there in the Bhagavad Gita. And so the general instruction that we're getting by getting a a larger picture of the whole cosmic system is that we shouldn't become distracted by the temporary, right? And there's two, actually, I noticed in the purport, Shri Prabhupada was giving two 
could say reasons that one becomes distracted from the ultimate goal of life. Of course, those of us sitting in the room, generally if I asked you, what is the goal of life? Because you've heard Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita and all of the conclusions of the Shastras, what would you say? Krishna Prema. Krishna Prema. Anybody else? Same thing. Prema Pumatya Mahama, right? Yeah. Could you explain that a little bit? What is Prema Pumatya Mahama? Sri Chaitanya who states that the, the most artu, Puma artu, the, the topmost desirable thing is Prema. So it's the, the really the only possession that the living entity can, that the living entity has, if we so choose to utilize it. And, uh, and living entities are trying to fill the, the hole that we have for love for God in so many other ways. But right. actually, this is the real desirable thing that we're looking for. Yeah, and this is relevant that you brought that specific term up because we saw earlier, in a few verses earlier, we hear about the other, so Prema Kumarta Mahan is called uh, the Pancha Purusharta, the fifth goal of life, right? And Lord Chaitanya explains that this goal is the ultimate, most important goal. But generally people, uh, whether they know it or not, they're going for the four lower goals, right? Which are described as Dharma, Arta, Kama, and Moksha. Can someone explain those briefly?
mercy of the Brahmara, uh, have that very clearly established in our minds. So what we were talking about is uh, two reasons that come out of the purport why someone will become distracted from uh, this ultimate goal of achieving something eternal, basically, as opposed to just achieving something temporary in this material world. So one is that they are materially attached. Srila Prabhupada states that the material attached are very eager to promote themselves to the heavenly planets, such as the moon. Right? So, because I want to enjoy the material energy, then even I might hear about something eternal and love of God, and yeah, this is the ultimate goal, uh, it doesn't enter my heart because my heart is already consumed and absorbed in the desires to enjoy within the material world. The heart is attached. So this is one reason why uh, one won't go for the ultimate goal because of that attachment. So we're hearing about Griha mating on those material attached persons that uh, they may even have knowledge of the Vedas. But because they're attached to the material world, then they just go for the material benedictions that are offered in the Vedas. And another reason, which probably could have been stated first, is that Srila Prabhupada is mentioning that people don't have, they're, they're ignorant. If one doesn't actually have the knowledge that there's something beyond just this temporary world, then there's no question of going for that thing, right? So first, actually, one has to become, uh, come out of ignorance. They have to be given the knowledge that there is an eternal reality. And that so much of what we, uh, even what we consider eternal, uh, for example, going to the heavenly planets, if someone is interested in following the Vedas in order to they might even consider that, or have accepted that, yeah, this is not the only life, but they'll just be following the Vedic principles just to try to elevate themselves to a heavenly planet and enjoy the material realm, right? They, may, they, they don't have the knowledge that even the material realm, even the highest planet in the material realm, Abrahma, Bhuvana Loka, Bunar Avartina Arjuna, Mamupeti, Punar Janamadejite. Krishna says in the 8th chapter that wherever you go, even to the highest planet in the material world, all you'll find is a temporary, what is it? What's the second part of the verse? giving the knowledge, right? First one has to get the knowledge that there's something more, and then second one has to be inspired to uh, try to attain that, right? Generally, someone 
we might think uh, that, hey, well, let me just enjoy for, you know, a few million years, and then I'll go back to God. I mean, that sounds nice, right? I can enjoy for, like, millions of years as a demigod, and, and then go back to Godhead, right? But in, in, the, in relation to the span of eternity, everything that's happening here is just like a blink of an eye. And this is what we, the perspective that we get when we hear about the cosmology that's there in the Bhagavatam. Right? It's described about the two different types of dissolution. One is at the end of Brahma's day, which is after uh, 1,000 repetitions of the Divya Yugas, which is, what, four, seven million years? Anyone know how to memorize? So that's one day of Brahma, right? 4.32 billion years. So say you could enjoy for maybe 100,000 of those as a demigod. And then we, we get the perspective, when we get the perspective that this is just one day of Brahma, then enjoying the material realm is insignificant. So when I was in Mayapur, we were, of course, seeing and uh, witnessing the development of the TOVP, Temple of Vedic Planetarium. So, and I was learning more a little bit about, you know, the plans and design, and also the vision that Srila Prabhupada had for this temple, and why it was so focused on uh, being a planetarium. Does anyone know? Why didn't they just make a big temple? Why? Or, or maybe you have some ideas. Because actually it's described, the name is the Vedic Planetarium. And the centerpiece, so for some of you who may not know, it's, a, it's first of all, it's the largest religious structure, one of the largest religious structures in the world. And the whole temple is centering, besides being centered around the deities, uh, it's centering around this enormous chandelier that's going to be built that's modeling the Vedic conception of the universe, right? So someone walks into the temple and you see the deities, it's gorgeous, it's, the, the whole place is gorgeous, and then there's going to be a chandelier that goes all the way up. And it's, and it's actually going to be a model of the universe and it's going to be rotating in the same time as the universe. And you can then go, so there's, there's the entrance floor of the temple, which is where there's the, going to be the, of course, the temple room. And there will be Panchatattva there, the Parampara on the left, and the Ashtaradamadavaram and Ashtashakis. And then you can go up each successive level of the temple and walk around, just like for those of you who might have seen in 
Prabhupada's samadhi, you can walk around and see different uh, panoramas or displays that are describing these different pastimes of his life. Right? And so in this temple, it's actually going to be a description of Gopakumar's traveling through the universe. Uh, because in Brihad Bhagavatamrita it's described, Gopakumar travels from different all the different sections of the universe, from the material realm, earthly planets, to the heavenly planets, up to the Tapaloka, and then gets to the Vaikuntha world, and then eventually up to Goloka. And so all of this is going to be described, and there's going to be like really ornate, you know, dioramas explaining this. And so one will be going up and walking around the model of the, of the universe, right? So it's like the whole centerpiece of the temple is this Vedic conception of the planets. So, Ananda, did you have an idea of maybe why? I was just thinking that um, kind of the trend in the split between science and religion that occurred, it was kind of centered around this understanding of cosmology. And because in a lot of the Hebrew texts and a lot of the kind of the biblical texts, there's not a great deal of description about what the cosmos looks like or how it's structured. Um, when empiric scientists begin to, you know, come across some findings or some, you know, some different ideas, then it, it, they, it, they use that, and this is kind of what I've um, gathered, but they, they use that in order to kind of wedge the split between religion and science. And so my understanding when I've heard Prabhupada talk about this is that to kind of take, the, take that back, take the fact that, that no, the Vedas do have a great amount of detail about the cosmos, and it's, and it's scientifically backed, and it, and it correlates, and it surpasses what science is saying. So to kind of like highlight that aspect, the, the level of detail, and in that way, like reinstill faith. Right, because if one sees, there's some conversations where Shri Prabhupada was saying that if we can explain some basic aspects of uh, what we see in the material realm through this model, then it'll be a very powerful way of, just like you said, instilling faith in the Vedic conception, right? So he was saying that if we can explain about the phases of the moon, if we can explain about day and night and the seasons and a few other things, then it'll be a very powerful uh, exposition, right? So there's a team of scientists that are working on that and they gave us a little bit of an explanation of how they're, they're understanding it. It's quite mind-boggling, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, that's one thing, is it will help to instill faith, right? Just like uh, many of us maybe experienced that, you know, hearing things about how the Bhagavatam is predicting uh, Kali Yuga in different ways, the different symptoms of Kali Yuga. When we see things that are in harmony with our, uh, what we're actually experiencing, then that helps to instill faith, right? Any other ideas of why 
this might be this might be a major focal point of the temple. thinking about the uh, overwhelming sense of looking up and knowing that Krishna is the supreme Godhead, you know, knowing that that's, that he's the controller above that space and seeing everything that's like ultimate beauty there is probably overpowering when, you, when you're there. You know, yeah. Yeah, this is kind of along the lines of what I was um, talking about towards the beginning is how when we get a, a bigger picture of everything then it's easier to become actually focused on what is the goal right if we see that okay this is the material realm and then there's above that there's Maheshtam and above that is the Vikrinta plants and then there's Goloka Vrindavan and it's explained in a very logical and thorough detailed way then it's convincing, and it's also very uh, helpful to keep the mind focused, right? But yes, actually, Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead, devotional service to Krishna, this is the ultimate goal of life. So that when I'm dealing with so many different things throughout my life, of course, we have to deal with so many temporary situations, temporary uh, things in life. But we can keep our goal fixed. We know that the ultimate goal is achieving love for Krishna. So one other uh, reason that I found very interesting uh, described is that when, as far as why this planetary system, planetary model, the planet planetarium, is such a central and prominent feature in the temple is if we look through Bhagavatam actually how many times is the material creation described the Virat Rupa at least three or four right we hear referenced in the first canto second canto third canto fifth canto elaborately right and no other, it's actually, it may be one of the only things that's repeated so much in the Bhagavatam. And as we know in the second canto, how that's described, when it's first describing about the Virat Rupa, the title of that chapter is the first step in God-realization. Right? And it's being described that one who, uh, that this is the initial step of God-realization is seeing the cosmic manifestation as the form of the body of the Lord. So it was being described to us when we were hearing about it that even because Prabhupada wanted to attract the whole world by this glorious temple. Right? And he was following in the line of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta. Actually, I was hearing a lecture yesterday how Bhakti Siddhanta uh, in his preaching, he did some amazing uh, technological, he, he utilized uh, technological advancements to draw the attention of the public. I was hearing about these expos that he would, they would put on that was 
that were one square mile, like, full of things happening, you know, like some big fair, basically. And the whole place was lit up by electricity, which in that day and age, to have something lit up by electricity for a square mile is expensive and is also very impressive because that was like the newest technology of the day. And so Bhaktisiddhanta was utilizing this to attract people's attention, right? That, that yeah, this must be something worth hearing and, and listening to if, you know, yeah, if it's, you know, got the greatest technology. So Srila Prabhupada also did like that, right? He wanted to erect beautiful temples to attract people. And specifically this, this TLDP, he wanted to attract the whole world, and especially scientists. And actually, not only is the temple, this, this planetarium is there in the middle, but there's an entire wing of the temple that is dedicated to being a theater and with different, I don't know, so many different options and, and where people can actually come and learn about the Vedic, Vedic cosmology. And then, so those of you who have seen the picture, there's, there's the main dome, which is where the planetarium will be and the deities will be there. And the Shingadev will have his own dome. And then the whole other dome is going to be this expo area where they're going to have videos and models and, you know, so much, uh, there's, there's going to be some sort of theater. And so this is meant to attract the whole world. And it's, it was described that just by, just like <clears throat> when one comes in touch with Bhagavatam, they become purified. So it's described that this temple is like the materialized Bhagavatam. It has Krishna, Radha Krishna, Ashtasakis, and it has the whole cosmic planetarium system. It has the Brihat Bhagavatam Rita, which is the essence of the teachings of the Bhagavatam there. So by people coming in touch with it, then they will naturally become purified. So anyway, I got a little bit off track, but I just wanted to share a little. It was uh, quite inspiring to see the scope of the project and how the temple is actually, completing the temple is, is a big thing. And then even more, they have more plans after that because the temple is just the middle of an entire city that's, that's being planned. Where there's going to be, you know, mini Vrindavan, there's going to be a whole Prabhupada area, there's going to be a whole, uh, so much, so many different parks and, and things for people to come from all around the world and uh, hear and chant. And, <clears throat> So, getting back on track of what we were learning from the verse, the basic point I was wanting to pull out is that it's 
it's easy to become distracted in, uh, in our practice and to forget about what is the ultimate goal. Right? Even for someone who has understandings of the Vedas, and uh, because if there's still some material attachment, then naturally one will be attracted to so many temporary things. So hearing Bhagavatam daily, regularly, helps to keep us on track. It's not that, okay, I just heard one, one time and I get it, yeah, like, everything is eternal, or, you know, I should, I should go for my eternal goal. No. If one has humility, then they can accept that I've been traveling for many, many births, uh, trying to enjoy in the material energy, and so it's not just a snap of my fingers that's going to turn me towards, you know, pure bhakti. So, therefore, it's so crucially important that we that I should hear daily from the Bhagavatam in order to be realigned in my ultimate goal. So, we have a few minutes now, ten minutes for questions and comments. Hare Krishna, thank you. I appreciated uh, a lot of things. So the main thing I'm, I'm thinking about right now is um, kind of this theme of the last couple of verses that the Bhagavatam is urging us not to become enamored of temporary things and uh, to become focused on the eternal thing. Even up to you know, I mean, the kind of opulence that I think you kind of alluded to that materialists today can't even imagine. It's as they're trying to like save up for a big nap or something. Like, kind of the level of karma that you can have in this planet versus what you can have on Indra Loka or something just doesn't really be. So, but Bhagavan said, don't even worry about that. That's nothing. It's insignificant. And I was thinking about how this is actually like a, one of the major uh, indices for human intelligence is the ability to delay gratification to like do the right thing right now that prevents me from having instant gratification of a lower level so I can have something better later. There's a famous psychological or sociological study, I forget what it's called. It's, it's like, uh, you can Google it, it's, it's really, really famous. They have kids? Yeah, kids, they have Marshmallows? Yeah, the marshmallows. But there's like a, another name for it too. So basically, they, they track children and they had a little, little game for them. They brought them to a room, I don't know, like grade three or something, right? And they said, okay, you can have like a marshmallow now, or um, I'm gonna come back in 10 minutes, and if you haven't had the marshmallow, then you'll be two. It'll be the room. And they would track who would take it and who wouldn't and wait for the other one. And they, they looked at them over their life or, you know, into the, the adult life and see like income level, IQ, uh, later on health, different kinds of things, and they were just consistently better the children who actually have the ability to restrain their, their, their temporary desire for a marshmallow. Because this is an index for humans. The humans are, are differentiated from animals because they can say, there's this thing and there's this thing, and if I go for the thing right now, I won't get the better thing later, so I'm going to put that on hold. I'm going to, you know. Uh, whereas an animal can't do that. You can't put a dog next to, you know, like a dog food, some piece of flesh, and say, don't eat it. A very rare dog. You can train it. 
but it's, it's, it requires higher intelligence. Lower animals can't train it at all. Forget it, they'll just eat it. So I was just thinking that this is, a, this is totally substantiated by um, what people call science now, that you know, if you actually are human, if you actually want to be intelligent and successful, even materially, you have to be able to say, okay, there's two things. One thing will make me happy now, Prius in Sanskrit, one thing will make me really happy, but I have to work for it. It takes a little time, Shreyas. You know, I have to go to work, I have to go to school, I have to, whatever, I don't want to do that's actually good for me. So you can't really run from it unless you're an animal. Um, they don't have a choice. The lower animals just do not have a choice. So human beings mean you have a choice and you know you have a choice and you actually don't run from that, you embrace it. So. Yeah, and uh, one of the difficulties comes when uh, we, that example is really, really good. And at the same time, uh, we have, it's a little more complicated for us because we have, it's not that we can just say, okay, no, I'm not gonna, you know, eat, right? Because that's just temporary. Like we have, we still have to um, maintain, or we have to, we have to take the prayers, but not forget the shreyas, right? So, um, yeah, actually we could have discussed, and maybe we can discuss more about that, you know, how, for a devotee, how do we do that? How does one remain fixed in the ultimate goal while still dealing with so many temporary things in, in today's world? Reflection. Constant reflection. Oh, say again? I mean, the answer is reflection. I mean reflection. So reflecting not so much on what we want personally, you know, what we think should be done, but, you know, how would Krishna direct us, you know, what would his ultimate goal be in those moments that we have to make maybe difficult decisions or then, you know, going to your spiritual master or, you know, getting that support to help keep you in the right direction. Right? Yeah, so reflecting and then also taking guidance from authorities, definitely. Yeah. The other day, I brought up in class that purport second canto of intelligence is the form direction of super soul, and 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 that's cultivated by sadhu, shastra, and guru, and and having consistent contact with the Lord's devotees, consistent contact with the scripture, and consistent you know um, or available guidance of self-realized persons. And so, in that way, then, then the, the discernment, this is, you know, a way to discern between shreyas and prayas, and then how do I keep in mind the shreyas by still, you know, maintaining the prayas? Rather, how do I take the prayas and turn it into shreyas? Yeah, right? Because it's, 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 to me, it seems like a dichotomy of the mind. It's like, I'm either going after prayas right, right now, and I'm not thinking of shreyas, but if I'm thinking of shreyas, and I'm doing what may appear to be prayas, like I'm eating. That's actually shreyas. It's like, what in the long term helps me get the shreyas? That's, so then prayas disappears if we're thinking of the long term. Yeah, this is actually reminding me, and I know you have a comment. Okay. It's reminding me of a really nice analogy I read recently of how it is. It's like a special aspect where a devotee actually... It's not that they spend some time doing their prayers and then some time doing their 
Shreyas or something, that for the Bodhi it, it actually becomes all conducive for Krishna consciousness, right? We practice the rules and regulations, we follow Varnashram, we <clears throat> do so many things with, with the ultimate understanding that this is pleasing to Krishna, right? So someone might be following perfect brahmacharya just because they want to, you know, remain celibate very, for a long time, or because, so for so many reasons, right? For health, or for mental power, or something. Prestige. There's so many reasons that one might be following rules that we also follow, and might even be following them better than us, right? But the purpose, why they're doing it, is different. So, for a devotee, a devotee is practicing all of these rules, following all of these rules, because it's pleasing to Krishna. And the example that was given is just like a wife or a husband will act in a way that is uh, very dominant, maybe, or in a w basically they'll direct, decorate themselves nicely and uh, act nicely in the house because it's pleasing to the other person. Not just because they, one could also decorate themselves very nicely just to attract others, to attract the attention of others, right? But if there's love between the two, then all of their activities that they're doing is to please the other person. So for a devotee, it's explained like that, that whatever rules and regulations they're following are for the ultimate purpose of pleasing Krishna. I'm going to my job, I'm acting nicely to this person, I'm tolerating my boss, I'm doing so many things because I know that this is pleasing to Krishna. Not just because I want to be a nice person, or just because it'll get me the raise. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. Let me see now. I just, I just want to say something on the point of the, the uh, TOVP and the Vedic conception of the universe. There's this really nice lecture by Sadhapunta Prabhu called A Brief History of Universal Theories. And he kind of breaks down why the, why the kind of like completely mechanistic scientific understanding of the universe is the way it is now. He talks about that and how in history you can trace back how the Vedic conception was there and then there's a slow degradation and removal of personality from the, uh, the, the removal of like persons in control of the universe from the universal theory until we have it where it is now where it's just a bunch of dead matter exploding and then creating everything. And how as that, as you can see that degradation in line with the degradation of the society in terms of complete lack of like, uh, like rules and regulations and, and uh, sense control and all these things. So like as that, as those mechanistic theories became prominent, and now it's just completely mechanistic. How the society completely degraded into into gross sense gratification and lack of belief in God. And he says even the Vatican, even the Catholic Church now, they have a like a board of scientists, advisors to the Pope. And he says that this is terribly wrong because the scientific 
understanding of the world is mechanistic. It doesn't leave a it place for God. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. And how Prabhupada, like you were saying, that Prabhupada knew that this is so important. Because that, like when you have an understanding that God is in control and, and you can like scientifically like demonstrate that this is what's actually happening and like how it, it com it's compatible with the, with the mechanistic worldview, but at the same time, you know, God's there. Well, then people have some responsibility, like, oh my gosh, I can't just do whatever I want all the time. <laughs> or at least they have to, they, they can't deny it so quickly, right? Or, right. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Mother Nidra, would you want to give your last word? Translation of Prabhupada. Hmm. Translation. Yeah, translation. Where he says that the Lord goes to the Anantashesh. Hmm. Yeah, because you know, really think of Gabadakshir in the Shin line Anantashesh. Uh, so I was wondering, is it because Anantashesh is, is holding up the planetary system that is. I shouldn't say planetary system, holding the, the boomerang system on his heads. Because usually in, in, the, um, in the depiction of like Gavodakshari Vishnu, he's, he's lying on the, on the bed, he's lying on the bed of Anandashish. Right? right, right, and then the lotus is coming up. And yeah. So, but then Srila Prabhupada says in the translation you know, that he goes at the end, at the end of Brahma's day. Eh? He yeah. goes to, is it Brahma's day or Brahma's life, he says? <clears throat> I mean, it's a little out of my league, but I can say my thought is... Uh, yeah, just curious. <laughs> First of all, my understanding is that this is referring to Garbo Dakashami, yeah. you know? Yeah. Not Mahavishnu? Yeah. Because when Prabhupada describes it in the purport, it seems like that. And um, my understanding is that it basically, what it means is that at, that just like when Brahma sleeps, yeah. then half the universe is annihilated. Yeah. So then also when Garbhadakashayi sleeps, then the whole universe is annihilated. So I just understood it as going to bed means like, Maybe he's lying down all day, but he's going to sleep now. <laughs> That's just my own thoughts. Yeah, yeah the term going, going to Anandashish means like, it sounds like he was not Anandashish. Yeah, like so. maybe he was swimming around in the <laughs> water or something. Because, yeah, because when you start to think of this, you know, like, okay, Anandashish is during the, the, during the day of release. He's holding up the boomerang, you know, the, bo the boomerang across, which, which goes across the universe. Yeah. You know? he, that's what he's doing. <laughs> he's on, he's on a, a, a coma, and he's holding up on the side. You know? it, it, don't mention him, but not be shooting there at that point. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think we'll have to ask the GOVP staff. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
Prabhupada, I was just thinking how well, Prabhupada really uh, wanted this temple project to uh, op open up the storehouse of love of God like never before. And, uh, and that there would be uh, such kirtan going on, amazing, you know, deity worship, especially the kirtan, you attract the souls, and then of course the uh, planetarium to attract them to the knowledge, just like you're talking about in the purport, how people that are materialistic, you know, they have, they don't have knowledge, ignorant, attached. So the whole project is like, a, you know, ready to bust all these things down in the world, you know, it's like... Yeah, and one other... <laughs> Sorry, did you have a question? Or? No, I was just thinking that uh, it's, it, it's meant to be a colossal, uh, you know, tsunami. <laughs> yeah, and that was the feeling I got definitely being there, is uh, so much anticipation. You know, there's devotees who have been spending their whole life just working on this project and waiting to see it come to fruition and working so hard, you know, and doing quite a good, nice job, I have to say, like... The, everything is just so first class. The Pujari Hall is like a palace. Beautiful palace. It reminded me of, maybe I shouldn't say this on the Vyakathon, but Las Vegas. You go to Las Vegas and there's so many beautiful, you know, and then there's craziness, of course. That's the perverted reflection, but it was beautiful. And just the last thing is, um, there's a lot of things aligning also with this timing because uh, like one of which I heard is that India, in India right now it's becoming much more popular just in general acceptance of Sanatana Dharma and the Vedic philosophy, Vedic lifestyle. It's becoming more, India's kind of starting to regain their heritage, you know, a little bit. Of course Kali Yuga is still coming in but with, you know, the Western world being so interested in yoga and veganism and all of that, it's also coming there in India. And in India, they're uh, creating this huge temple palace area in Ayodhya, which is the holy uh, pastimes of Lord Ram are there. And it's going to be one of the main tourist attractions. You know, the government is creating it basically for tourism, but the point is that <clears throat> it's going to be a great tourism attraction in India, and it's set to open similar timing along with the TLVP. So as people come to India, more and more becoming attracted to Vedic uh, lifestyle, they'll be seen, you know, they'll be so much more attracted coming to Ayodhya, and then also the TLVP is going to be a whole attraction. So, it's just the government, I think. You can maybe research it, but Gauranga Prabhu mentioned this in one of his seminars. So there's so much coming to fruition, and at the same time, there's a lot of work to be done. So, don't just depend on the prophecy. Okay, thank you. All glories to Shima. Graduate Shima Bhagavatam Ki. Shiva Prabhupada Ki Jai, Samabeda Bhaktivinoda Ki Jai,